good to see you here. It really is. We started a series called The Ten. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And I want, before we get into today's message, which has to do with stealing, I want to, uh, to remind you what's going on here. We are not saved by keeping commandments. No, those commandments break us. Those commandments expose the wickedness that still resides in our hearts. Those commandments have a way of pointing out to us the defects that still remain in our fleshly character. We're not saved by keeping commandments. So if you're a commandment breaker, don't think for a minute that that, uh, that separates you from the grace and the love of God. It does not. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the grace of God, not by keeping commandments. We are not saved by anything we do. We are saved by what God has done for us by sending His Son to die on the cross in our, in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. So let's get that out of the way. Well, I'm not, I hope that you don't hear these commandments um, in, in that legalistic kind of way. I hope that we've made it very clear that these commandments were given to a people who had already been redeemed from their slavery. God gave the people of Israel, His, His people, these commandments after He had already set them free from their bondage in Egypt. Listen, these commandments are still true for us today as God's redeemed people. God gave His people back then these commandments to help, to help them order their lives in such a way that they could remain in a healthy, loving relationship with Him and with one another. Isn't that what you want? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why these commandments have been given to us as well. So that we can live with God without shame, fear, guilt. And so that we can live with one another without shame, fear, guilt. God wants us to experience healthy, loving relationships with Him and one another. So He gives us these rules to help govern our behavior and our attitudes so that we can enjoy that kind of life and enjoy those kinds of relationships. So let's be clear about that up front. These commands are given to a redeemed people so that we can live with God for His glory together. Amen? We good with that? Well, we're on commandment number eight that has to do with stealing. So as we get started, let me ask you a couple questions. How many of you lock your doors at night? Who doesn't lock your door at night? I want to know. because <laughs> Christmas is coming and I need something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to go shopping. Do you guys remember, because I do, do you remember when you didn't have to lock your doors at all? Remember when you would just shut the corridor behind you and go into the store without even thinking about it? Those were the days, weren't they? Times have really changed, haven't they? Not like that anymore. I make sure my corridor is locked when I get out of it. And I make sure, or Lorna makes sure our house doors are locked. We live way out in the sticks, man. Ain't nobody coming our way unless they're coming to see us, you know what I mean? And I often won't even think about locking the door, but not Lorna. She's got that door locked, I guarantee you, at night. Now, I worked part-time as a bailiff at Shelby County Courthouse about four and a half years. I may have seen some of you there. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. I'll see people, I'll see people walk in the door and they're like, don't I know you? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, I, I got to hear all kinds of stories about the shenanigans that go on in our neighborhoods and our communities. 
I tell people all the time, what you never want to do is serve on a grand jury in Shelby County because then you find out what your neighbors are up to. I mean, breaking and entering, car theft, forgery, credit card fraud, identity theft, employee theft, bank robbery, shoplifting, bad checks, armed robbery, grand theft, auto. And that was only the first two days on the job. Seriously, first two days on the job, let me tell you some of the cases I heard about in Shelby County. This has been several years ago, I'm sure it's probably a lot worse today. I'm not saying, well, yeah, I am saying that, it's probably a lot worse. This is what happened to me, first two days on the job. One man stole $720,000 from his employer by setting up phony vendor accounts. One girl impersonated a police officer when she applied for a loan at a finance company. A young man and his female friend broke into and vandalized several cars around the Alabaster area. Another guy I met in the first two days of my uh, job as a bailiff was 26 years old. He helped a friend rob a bank. They got caught, and because he already had three felony counts on his record, he could have been sentenced to life in prison, but the judge had mercy on him, and he only got 10 years instead. Now, some of y'all are thinking, Judge Reeves never shows mercy, or never showed mercy. Yes, he did, believe it or not. The guy only got 10 years instead, but for those of us who are law-abiding citizens, let me tell you what that means. That means that that bank robber is probably going to be back out on the streets in about three or four years. Okay? Now, for the last several weeks, so so y'all lock your doors at night, okay? I'm just saying. Okay? And make sure you lock your car doors, all right? I tell my high school kids this all the time. You've got to assume now that you're on video camera, okay? You just got to assume it, because there are video cameras everywhere. So these kids will come in talking about what they did, ha, 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 you know, I took this, or I hit that mailbox with a baseball bat, and I'm thinking, dude, somebody's got you on camera somewhere. <laughs> anyway, another, uh, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And today we're looking at the Eighth Commandment. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 15, and it simply says this, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. But as I hope to do in just a minute, I I hope that you see there's a lot more to this simple commandment than you might think. You've got to understand God is trying to get us to order our lives in such a way that we represent Him well to the world around us. He's trying to get us to govern our behavior and our attitudes with the help of the Holy Spirit living inside our hearts. He's helped, he wants us to govern these attitudes, these behaviors, in order for us to reflect very clearly who He is and what He's like. We are His sons and daughters after all, right? He wants us to live like His sons and daughters. And so this commandment is much goes much deeper than we might think, and that's what I hope to point out to you as we go through this. The, this little simple commandment, you shall not steal, goes much deeper than we might think on its surface. Now we're calling this series of ten, and I hope to to share with you how these ten commandments apply to us today in the context of the way we live our lives. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to say these commandments with me as they come on the screen above me. Say them with me, and I'm about to lose my voice because I've been struggling with that sinus stuff that somebody, one of y'all gave me. (laughs) I'm ready to give it back when you want it. And God spoke all these words. Who spoke them? God. God. Let's keep that in, this in mind. This isn't Mark Davis speaking. It's not even Moses. God spoke all these words, right? Same with me. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the presence of Your Holy Spirit that's so evident among us today. In this room, I've gathered a group of people that sincerely want to live their lives in such a way that we represent You well. I think we mean it. I think we're tired of playing Christian. We're tired of playing church. We want to be Christian. We want to be the church. But frankly, some of us, many of us, maybe all of us, don't even know how. We don't know what that looks like because we've had such poor examples, such poor representations of it before us. So Lord, I pray today as we spend time in this Word, as we spend time talking about this commandment and how it applies to us, that You would make it very personal to us. That we would take this commandment and we would see that You have spoken it to us clearly and concisely and practically so we can put it to work in our lives. So that we can live it out. So that when people look at us, they will see clearly who You are. They will see clearly who we are in You. We are your sons and daughters. This is what we believe, and if this is what we believe, then this is how we should live. Glorify yourself in us today. Take the blinders off of our eyes. Unstop our ears. Take the walls from around our hearts. We don't want to offer justifications and excuses and rationalizations, God. We just want to be yours in truth. Work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. You guys are ready? It's going to be a real simple message, but I hope it speaks to your heart. The dictionary says steal. Steal means to take something from another without right or permission. To take something from another person without right or permission. I read somewhere that there are at least 160 different synonyms or idioms in English for the word steal. 160 ways to express what stealing is. Here's some of them. Burglarize, cheat, defraud, embezzle, heist, hold up, loot, make off with, misappropriate, pilfer, pinch, pirate, plagiarize, plunder, poach, Remove, rip off, shoplift, snatch, stick up, swindle, swipe. My personal favorite, tax and spin. (laughs) Somebody needs to read the law by Frederick Bassiat. Anyway, I uh, I think most of us understand the need for and the importance of this commandment. We have been violated by someone who broke this commandment in our lives. Don't steal. Don't steal. 
You see, unless, unless we all agree to respect the property of others, we're never going to be able to live together in peace, are we? I mean, if you feel free to take what I think belongs to me, or if I feel like I can take freely what belongs to you, then you and I are headed for a fight at some point. We'll always be enemies. Trust is broken. I mean, we're going to always eye each other with suspicion. We're always going to be waiting for the other person to make their move to steal something from us. That's why we got video cameras everywhere now. That's why there are locks on every door now. We don't trust each other. Why don't we trust each other? Because y'all keep taking my stuff. I can't trust you anymore. I mean, no family or community or relationship will exist for long if we don't respect and abide by this simple little commandment. Don't steal. So God says to us, don't steal. And He says it to us in several different ways throughout His Word. God says, don't steal so that we can enjoy peace and stability in our homes, in our communities, in our marriages. He says, don't steal so that we can learn to respect other people and the things that belong to other people, so we can learn to be honest, so that we can learn to work hard and save, and so that we can learn to take personal responsibility for our lives. Say personal responsibility. Lord Jesus, can we just get back to that simple, fundamental little thing? Take personal responsibility. So God says don't steal. Don't steal. See, the underlying principle to this, the driving principle behind this little commandment is honesty. Honesty. God wants us as His people, as His sons and daughters, to, to be honest in our relationships, to be honest in our dealings with each other. 100% honest, 100% of the time. Proverbs 11 says it this way, The Lord hates cheating. The Lord hates cheating, but He delights in honesty. He wants His sons and daughters to be an honest people. Now, we'd like to settle, we'd like God to settle for a little bit less than 100% honest, wouldn't we? We'd like to be 80% honest 90% of the time. Or maybe even 90% honest 99% of the time. But God's calling us to a higher standard than that. He is calling us to be an honest people, 100% honest, 100% of the time. Why? Because any fracture, any violation abrogates or tends to break trust. What's at the foundation of every relationship, every healthy relationship? Trust. When you break trust, you violated that relationship. It, you never get it back either. I, I, I'm telling you, you just you don't. There's always that little nagging suspicion in the back of that other person's mind. I'm telling you. They say honesty is the best policy. Amen. Amen. And that's what God wants out of us. He wants us to be honest. Unfortunately, we as human beings, we like to grade our honesty on a curve because we like to think of ourselves as being basically honest people. I've actually sat as a bailiff in a jury uh, box with some of the folks dressed in orange and chained up as they awaited uh, their meeting with the judge. I've actually heard them say, hey, I'm an honest guy. <laughs> well, if you're so honest, 
Why is it I can get up and walk out of the room and you're kind of stuck there? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not saying that you did what they're saying you did, but at least the suspicion was there that you did it. So I imagine that there's a little history behind this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of us didn't get caught. Others did. But anything less than 100% honesty, 100% of the time, and our relationships begin to fall apart. The trust that we ought to have in one another, and ought to enjoy, it begins to melt away. And, you know, I I know most of us are never going to be brought to trial in Shelby County for stealing, thank God. Most of us wouldn't ever think of taking another person's property or money or possessions Without their permission, it wouldn't, wouldn't really cross our minds. But I want all you good folks that haven't yet been caught stealing property from another person, I want you to think for just a minute about some other ways you might be stealing. What? You didn't know there were other ways to steal? To take things that weren't yours? To misappropriate other people's things? Well, there is. There are other ways. I want to point out to you four common ways that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we as the sons and daughters of God, four ways we might be stealing and don't really recognize it as such. And we need to get our lives in order because we are breaking trust with someone today without even really knowing it. First of all, don't steal time. Don't steal time. Time is actually the most precious resource on earth. Time is truly non-renewable. Time can't be reclaimed. It can't be recycled. Once time is spent, it's gone forever. You don't get it back. We cannot get time back once it slips away. Psalm uh, 39 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. Hey guys, listen to me. Time for each one of us comes in a very limited supply, yet we think nothing sometimes about stealing time from one another. We steal time when we get to work late. We steal time when we leave early for lunch. We steal time when we show up late for appointments. We steal time uh, when we hand out our, when we hand in our assignments late. We spend time when we're late in keeping a promise. Now we might never ever think about taking somebody else's money, but we often think nothing about stealing their time. And you never get that time back. It's gone. It can't be paid back either, can it? You can't add 15 minutes that you've stolen from your boss back to him. You don't get it back. Listen, parents. This is one of our, our great tragedies, I think, in our world today. We steal time from our kids. You see, the time you have with your kids is in very short supply. Don't steal their time. Don't squander it on things that are less important than your kids are. Time is the most valuable thing you can give to your kids. We're coming up on Christmas, and a lot of us are going to be stressed out because we don't have enough money to buy the presents we want to give our kids. Guess what? They really don't want your presents. They want your time. They want your time. So if you, I'm I'm telling you, you can satisfy that little Christmas itch in them if you will just give them the time that they really want more than the gift. 
Husbands and wives, we're bad about this. We steal time from our spouses. Time spent together. Time spent together is your relationship's most precious commodity. The correct way to spell love is to spell it T-I-M-E. really is. Time. Don't steal other people's time. Think about it. Are you stealing time from your boss? Are you stealing time from your spouse? Are you stealing time from your kids? Are you stealing time? If you are, let him who steals, steal no more. Don't steal reputations. Come on. Don't steal other people's reputations. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. You know, a good reputation is more valuable to a person than all the money in the world. But a good reputation is so easy to steal. We see it happening now. Accusations being thrown out about sexual harassment. It's like, what in the world? I think all of us in any kind of leadership position right now are walking on eggshells wondering when the accusation is going to be made and how do we disprove it once it's made. It only takes one juicy bit of gossip to steal someone's reputation. It only takes one slightly distorted version of the truth. It only takes one personal opinion that would be better left to to yourself. And a good person's reputation is stolen. A good name is gone. And it might take a lifetime to get it back if they ever get it back at all. Don't steal another person's reputation. Keep the gossip to yourself. Romans 1, in Romans 1.29, God classifies those who spread gossip with murderers and God-haters, for crying out loud. When we first began the church here, um, I, I told folks we were going to have a smoking station out back. We were going to ha- you know, be a church that em- welcomed people who smoked into our church. Now, that was really, a, back 15 years ago, that was a really foreign kind of concept. But at the time, 25% of Alabamians smoked. And I'm like, I'm not going to shut the door in the face of someone who smokes. Okay? I'm, I'm not going to do it, so we're going to have a smoking station in the back so people, when they have to get that itch, you know, they can, they can go out. And I, I, I would say it, I would justify it or defend it this way. I would rather have a church filled with smokers than have one gossip in my church. I can't identify gossipers very easily. You know what I mean? If I could, don't you wish that those who like to spread gossip had some kind of big G right here on their chest when they walked in? Or had a tattoo on their forehead or something? I know not to talk to them. But they don't. But how much damage a gossip can do in destroying someone's reputation and taking away their good name? Listen. Gossip creates havoc in relationships. Proverbs 25, 23 says this, As surely as a wind from the north brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. Can I get an amen? Is that the only number of us that have been affected that way? Proverbs 16, 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. I mean, people get mad when someone tries to steal their good name. And with good reason, you don't get it back. Once your reputation is gone, buddy, you don't get it back. Listen, 
just out of practical instruction here, if you've got a concern about another person, take it to the Lord first. Then if you have to, go directly to the person and work it out. But bring in other trusted people only if you have to because there's no other way to resolve the issue. Keep your concern to the smallest group of people possible. It helps eliminate the risk of reputation theft. Don't steal people's reputations. Facebook is awful about this. Y'all be careful. Don't get caught up in all that nonsense. So don't steal time. Don't steal reputations. Guys, listen to me. Those of you who claim to follow Christ, claim to be the sons and daughters of God, don't steal anybody's innocence either. Don't steal innocence. By innocence, I mean don't steal the virtue or the purity of another person. We can steal another person's innocence. We can steal another person's virtue or their purity when we use our influence in their lives to lead them into ungodly thoughts and behaviors. Some of us lost our innocence very early in life. And it sent us on a course. And we're now just trying to find the way back. Stealing innocence. There's so many ways to look at it. And I don't know about your context. Don't use your influence. Don't use your influence to bring impurity in someone else's life. It applies to the man who promises marriage to a woman if she'll only live with him first and try it out. It applies to the teenager who introduces his buddy to internet pornography for the first time. It applies to the parents who use their kids as pawns in a nasty divorce. Don't steal their innocence. Don't steal their innocence. Don't steal their purity. Don't steal their virtue. Jesus says in Matthew 18.6, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Oh my Lord, that sweet, mild meat Jesus? He's serious. You guard other people's innocence. You guard their purity. You guard their virtue. You don't steal it. You don't pollute it. You don't taint it. We are responsible, guys. Listen, as the sons and daughters of God, we are responsible to guard the innocence and the virtues of others. Stealing the innocence of another person is an awful sin because once innocence is taken, no power on earth can get it back. Ask Adam and Eve. Parents, guard the innocence of your kids. Parents, guard, let me say it again, guard the innocence of your children. They're exposed to so much anyway out in the world. Please don't be guilty of exposing them to even more. Guard their innocence. Help your kids keep their hearts and minds free from sin's influence. Don't let anyone or anything steal your child's purity. Not their friends, not their music, not their movies, not their TV sets, not their video games, because purity of heart is the most precious thing they have. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the reason so many of us struggle to see God right now is because our hearts have been made so impure. Our innocence has been taken from us. And only a work, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit can help clear that nastiness out of the way so we can see God for who He really is. So don't steal people's innocence. Don't be guilty of taking someone's virtue from them. And finally, don't steal from God. 
Don't steal from me. Oh, here it comes. He's going to talk about money. <laughs> Actually, just for a little bit. This really has nothing to do with money. Not really. Except for the fact that money kind of represents our time and our talents and our uh, energy, our work. So kind of money in some small way may represent a little bit of who we are, but I want, I want you to think for just a minute about how we can steal from God. Malachi 3.8, you may have heard it before, will a man rob God, yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you, God, in tithes and offerings? Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you might have heard this scripture used to encourage people to put money in the offering plate. Okay, I'm not about all the manipulation that sometimes comes with taking up an offering. But I do believe, and this church teaches, and we believe with all of our hearts, the Bible teaches that we should give money to the Lord, okay? We believe that God blesses us financially so that we can be a blessing to other people. There's no doubt it's, it's through the Word of God. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others. So we ought to give money, as the Bible says. We ought to give money to meet the needs of Christian brothers and sisters. You can look the verses up for yourself. We ought to give money to meet the needs of those who serve in the church. We ought, by the way, just let me say that all of us are volunteers. So you're not giving money to us at all, except for maybe Cindy, who she's our missionary to the recovery community. So it's not really about the church. It's about bringing other people. Anyway, so there's no money going to salaries here, although we have the right to ask for it. Okay? Alright. The Bible also says that we ought to give money to help the poor. The Bible also says, and I don't have this one up there, but we ought to give money to support the church and its ministries. Again and again, the Bible tells us we ought to give money for these kinds of purposes in order to advance the kingdom of God, to take the gospel around the world, to provide for those who serve the church in different and various ways. So we're going to teach about giving here, and I wanted to throw that into the picture because we don't talk about it very much. We, we do teach giving here, and you can rob God by not giving. And we encourage everyone to give to the Lord in the same measure as He has given to you. But there's a broader principle that comes to play here, and this is what I want you to focus on this morning. Giving to God has more to do with you and your life than just money. You can rob God by not giving Him what rightfully belongs to Him. And what rightfully belongs to Him is not just your pocketbook, it's you. You belong to God. Your whole life belongs to God, not just what's in your wallet. This is the broader principle. It's possible to give lots of money to the Lord and still cheat Him out of what rightfully belongs to Him because giving, to the, giving the Lord what rightfully belongs to Him requires more of us than just writing a check. Please listen to me, American church. Those of you who have been brought up in churches, it's not about your 10%. It's about your 100%. It's about you. It's about you. As believers in Jesus Christ, now let me flesh this out a little bit with Scripture and some little theology here. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus exchanged His life for ours when He died. Amen? It's the great exchange. 
He took upon Himself our death so we might take upon ourselves His life. He, there is a great exchange that took place. Paul puts, uh, talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, you are not your own. Say it with me. You are not your own. Say it this way. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I will honor God with my body. Not just my pocketbook. <laughs> now that's a little add-on, but you know, not supposed to add anything to the gospel, but I think it's appropriate there. You are not your own. Boy, that's a hard concept to break through our little selfish minds, isn't it? If I have put my faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ and I have exchanged His life for mine, I own nothing, not even this body. You would think at the very least I'd still own the body, right? No, it's gone too, it's His. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I own nothing. Think about that for just a minute. Does that, does that offend you? I hope it does. Because if it does, that means the Holy Spirit needs to convict you about something you're trying to hang on to that you need to release to God because He owns it. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 12, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? Is it too much to ask? Is God asking too much of us when He asks for it all? I don't know about you. I don't have a whole lot. When I came to Christ, I didn't have a whole lot worth keeping. I had a lot of nastiness, a lot of sin, a lot of junk, a lot of debt. I didn't have a whole lot to keep. And when we made this exchange, He gave me everything He is. And he took everything I am. I'd say I got the better end of the bargain. And I would pretty much guarantee that most of you would say the same. So why do we want to hang on to these little pieces of our life like they really mean something to us? I mean, our relationships were junk. Our perspectives and, and the way we saw things was silly. The things we had in our pockets just weren't worth very much. Our experiences were awful. Our behaviors and attitudes were confining and binding and enslaving. Why would I want to hang on to any of that when he says, let me have it? You don't own any of that stuff anymore. Give it to me. You see, it's not just our money that belongs to God. Our whole life belongs to God. He died for us so we should live for Him. Every moment of every day, with every breath we take and every decision we make, we should live entirely for Jesus. So when you think of what Jesus has done for you, is that too much to ask? It's so funny to me how we want to hang on. Hang on to stuff that is of such little value. You know, God wants, listen, this is, this is the honest truth. God wants to give us so much, but He can't give it to us if we are determined to hang on to what's already in our hands. He can't, He won't 
take from us what we're not willing to release to Him. So you can walk around and God's got more blessing than you can possibly imagine He wants to give to you. But the first thing you got to do is to let go of what's already in your hand. That relationship that's dragging you down, let it go. And I can only imagine what God might replace it with. That attitude, you know, that, that I'm a victim. Poor, poor, pitiful me. I'm like this, will always be like this. You'd be amazed what might happen if you just let that go for a minute, let God turn that around and make you a victor instead of a victim. But he can't do it until you let it go. Say, God, I'm, uh, that's done me no good. That victim mentality has led me down some roads I don't need to go down anymore. I'm not going to hold on to that bitterness or resentment anymore. You take that from me, God. Open it up. I'm opening up my hands. I'm opening up my heart to you. Come in. You replace that bitterness and anger with your peace and your hope and your joy because that's really what I want. But he can't do it until you let it go. Some of us need to open up our hands and give God everything instead of just parts. Does that make sense? He can't give us everything he wants to give us until we're ready to let it go, all go. In Matthew 22, a group of people approach Jesus. I love this little story. And I'd encourage you to go home and read it for yourself. In Matthew 22, a group of people approached Jesus and they were trying to trap him, really. They asked Jesus if it was right to pay taxes to Caesar. I don't know about you, I wish he'd said, no, it's not right to pay taxes to Caesar, but he didn't say that. <sighs> Jesus asked them to show him the coin that was used to pay taxes. So they gave Jesus the coin, he held it up, and he asked them, whose image is on that coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar's image. Jesus answered them and said, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. Now let me unpack that for just a moment because I want you to think about this. You and I are created in the image of God. His image is stamped upon us. Now it might be so marred and so corrupted it might be hard to see right now. But God's image has been stamped upon your life. You bear His image. So what do you owe God? Your life. Your heart. Your mind. You owe God everything. You owe Him what rightfully belongs to Him. What rightfully belongs to Him? You. Not your 10%. Not the few coins you can throw into an offering plate. Not the little bit of talent you get up here and do on a Sunday morning. He owns you lock, stock, and barrel. Every breath you take comes from Him. It needs to go back to Him. Every step you take should be for His glory. Everything you do, every sweep of that broom, not done for a paycheck, not done to make yourself look good, it's done for the glory of God. I mean, you want to revolutionize your life? Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it for a paycheck. You do it for the glory of God. God has a way of promoting people that have that attitude, by the way. Just let me say. You keep the right heart. You give it to God. Every, every word that comes out your mouth, 
It's for the glory of God, not to make yourself look good, not to get people on your side, not to make yourself appear right, but you just speak that word for the glory of God because it's His word after all, right? He owns it. If you'll do everything for the glory of God, it's amazing. It's amazing what God will do in you and through you. We owe God everything. Some of us try to hang on to things that are so silly. It's ridiculous, really. Now, it's hard to see that because you're caught up in the moment. You're like a little baby that's hanging on to something. You think, I got it, I got it, I got it. You know, mine, 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 mine. I'm telling you, some of you, it's time to let it go so God can do really what He wants to do in you. You belong to Him. Stop robbing from God. He wants everything. He wants you. He wants your good stuff. He wants your bad stuff. He just wants you. His image is stamped on your heart. Now live for Him. Give Him what rightfully belongs to Him. You stop stealing from God. I hope I've made that clear. It's not about your money. Not about your pocketbook. It's about you. You belong to God. Stop robbing Him. Stop robbing Him. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. I would imagine most of us here, we've talked about time, talked about reputations, talked about stealing innocence, talked about robbing from God. I would imagine most of us here have violated one of these four commandments probably within the last couple hours. Right? Come on, let's get honest. Some of us walk through these doors, we didn't want to be here. We didn't want to give God this hour and a half. But we came. Out of a sense of duty. His mama made me. Or Cindy made me. <laughs> but even that attitude, that's robbing from God, isn't it? You may give him what he wants, but you're not giving him what he wants. So let's just be straight. We're all thieves. Every single one of us in this room, we're guilty of breaking this commandment. And that's what the commandments do. The commandments bring us face to face with who we really are and what we're really struggling with. And it reveals to us how much we need the grace of God. And how much more we need the Spirit of God to work in us. And how much we need to surrender to the purposes of God so that God can do in us and through us what He really wants to do. It also has a way of revealing what's, at, what's really at the core of our conflicts with one another. We really find out, you know what, the conflict I'm having with this person in my life really isn't about them. It's about me. I'm the problem. The commandments have a way of doing that. Of revealing to you that you personally are the issue. But that's okay! And this is the amazing thing about the grace of God. It's okay. Because He's not done with any of us yet. And we'd be confident of this, that He who began the good work in us will carry it on until it's complete in Christ Jesus. We just have to, when He points it out to us through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, this needs addressing. Stop denying it. Stop justifying it. Stop rationalizing. Just say, yes, Lord, you're right. Teach me. Help me grow. Help me grow. I want to be everything you've called me to be in Christ Jesus. Can thieves like you and me be saved? Hallelujah. Absolutely. 
How many of you know you've already been saved by the grace of God? And we know that from a story that, that we're told in, uh, in the Gospels. You know, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. I'm sure you've heard the story. Jesus said to the thief hanging by his side, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen, if you're a thief, and, you begin, and, you, and maybe for the first time you're realizing, oh my Lord, I never understood. Listen, all it takes is the proper... All it takes for you to be saved is to see yourself in the light of who He is and see your brokenness and your sin for what it is. And it is to turn your back and all that sin to repent and look full in the face of the glory of the Son of God who gave His life for you and say, I want that. I want that. I don't want that anymore. I want that. I want you, Jesus. You can be saved. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've struggled with. To recognize your sin and repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ Jesus is what it takes to be saved. Romans 10.13 says, for everyone. Say that, everyone. Everyone. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, everyone. Look to your other neighbor and say, everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's great comfort in that thought to me. Because that means people like me, who've broken every one of these commandments multiple times, has a chance. If I'll just see myself for who I am and see the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. For those of us who've already experienced the saving grace of God, and many of you raised your hands, this is how I want to end the message today. I want you to understand if you have experienced the saving grace of God already, and you already know yourself to be a son or a daughter of God, it is time for God's sons and His daughters to live up to what they say they believe. I'm afraid we in the church have lost our moral authority to speak to sin because we're just like everybody else. It's hard to talk to a coworker about how lost they are when we're stealing time from the boss ourselves. Does that make sense? It's time for us to fully, completely represent Him, the One who died for us in every way. Ephesians 4.28 says to all of us thieves, anyone who has been stealing will steal no longer. So we need to put those old worldly ways of living behind us. We can't live like that. Just because everybody else does it, ain't no excuse for us. You hear me? I'm going to say this, I'm, I'm going to say this in a scriptural way. We're better than that. There's a new nature, a new ruling power in our hearts, and we're better than that. We don't live like everybody else. Yes, we're going to appear weird to a lot of people, 
but it's a God kind of weird, and that's okay. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's what I used to be. That's not who I am. By the grace of God, that's not who I am. Let's fully embrace this new life that we've been given in Christ Jesus, and let's live it out. Let's walk it out. 1 John 2.6. I, I, I wish everyone in our fellowship would, would memorize this verse. 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. That's who we're called to be. You get that? Whoever claims to, you claim to live in Him, then live as He lived. I just don't see Jesus stealing time for anybody. I don't see Him doing any shoplifting. I don't see Him taking anything that didn't belong to Him. We belong to Him. Let's give it to Him. This is who I am. This is what I want to be, God. I want to live as you live. Let's bow your heads. I'm rambling now. I appreciate your patience so much. Um, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I, uh, for the first time, almost halfway enjoy preaching because you seem to be listening and carefully evaluating and trying to process through what's being said. But I, I think the reason you do that is because you have been broken by your sin and you know how empty life is without Christ.